This is The Secret Library, a podcast about writing and publishing books. I'm Caroline Donahue, a life coach who works with writers, and I'm here to tell you this is your year. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. This episode of The Secret Library podcast is brought to you by Scrivener. Get 20% off the desktop software by using the code SECRET at literatureandlatte.com. This is episode 39. Today, my guest is Tasha Harrison, and we're talking about how to write a sex scene. Often accused of navigating life without a filter, Tasha Harrison has branded herself as the author who writes stories that make you feel all the feels. Her black and interracial erotica and erotic romance has brazen heroines and heroes that struggle to tolerate all their backsassing while trying to get them in the sack. So... Big disclaimer on this one, on no planet is this episode safe for work or for family time listening. Obviously, we're talking about an adult topic and we're definitely using adult language. In addition, one little note is that I think the topic was so steamy that the internet started to fry a little bit and at a couple points, the audio gets a little sizzly. So just be patient. It'll come right back. And we decided it was worth it to keep everything in, even the bits where the audio quality got a little crazy. So I hope you enjoy this steamy diversion from regular writing topics and have fun listening to Tasha. Hey, Tasha, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hi, Carolyn. How you doing? I'm good. So I'm good. excited because I think it's time that we talked about sex on the show. It's good because I like to talk about sex. I like to write about sex. Sex is good. Yeah. It's healthy. It's healthy and human. We all do it. I know. And I think what I want to get into is what makes a good sex scene and how can people work to include sex if they have if if there is you know that kind of plot line if sex is happening in your book granted if you're writing an academic treatise maybe it's not but maybe don't talk about it then maybe yeah, there may be a sex scene in the middle of that would be a little shocking but it'd be awkward <laughs> <laughs> but if there's going to be sex in your book let's talk about how you can do it well Okay, so number one thing about writing sex in the book is tension. I'm a true believer that every story is a love story, whether you choose to dive into that love story and make it part of the major plot or not is your choice. But once you have upped the romantic tick in your plot, you have an obligation as an author to commit to that sex and make it good for the reader and come to fruition in a way that everybody is satisfied. Nice. You know what I mean? Like you just cannot come all the way up to the moment and then close the curtain, close the door. Like that is my number one pet peeve. There's nothing worse than, oh my God, you built up all the sexual tension. And it's like, oh, and then they go into the bedroom and just doors close. And then they wake up the next morning. Like, did you just, did you really do that to us? Did you really? I know we're all voyeurs. We're like, <laughs> let us in the bedroom. Why are we, I mean, we're, why are we standing uh, out the, in the, the hallway? The thing that number one thing that that pisses me off about this is because not writing about sex is supposed to be smart literature. People who write literature don't write about sex, which is complete bullshit, because most of the people who write literature are dudes. And we know that they think about sex 40 percent of the time of their lives. (laughs) Like like they just they get up, they think about sex. They're standing at the, the urinal peeing. They think about sex. All they do is think about sex. So the whole idea that these smart dudes who are writing don't think about sex and they won't include it in their books is completely stupid to me. Everybody thinks about sex. Second thing is sex is human nature. You have to include it in the natural journey of a human. So even if you're writing a romance or straight literature 
or mystery, if you are building that tension, it's like Chekhov's gun. You put the pussy and the dick on the wall. <laughs> you have to make them fuck You have to fire it. <laughs> the dick shows up in act like, one. It's got to yeah. go off by act three. <laughs> Exactly. It's check. It's the it's the dirty version of Chekhov's gun. Nice. If you're presenting this couple at the beginning and creating this tension by Act Three, they need to have consummated this relationship. If and for those of your readers who don't know what Chekhov's gun is, like if you present a gun on the wall at the beginning in the first act, somebody has to die by the hands of that gun. That gun needs to be fired by Act Three. Period. Yep. Because otherwise, don't mention it. Just don't. Just don't. Yeah. And then the second thing is, if you can't do it well, just don't do it. So let's talk about what goes into doing it well. So the first mistake is just taking you right up to the door and then slamming it in the reader's face. So let's say somebody's willing to bring them in. But I think a lot of people are nervous about writing sex because it's one of those things that's difficult to go from a conceptual feeling experience into writing. And I think that's the departure. Yeah. Stop thinking about it conceptually. Okay. If you're an adult person, if you've you've had sex, you know what it feels like, period. You know what emotions it invokes. You know where you are mentally. You know where you are physically. These are the things that you should be calling to life in your words, period. So how do you start? Because I've read romance and erotica and stuff, and I know when something is good and I know when something's not, but it's, there is no area of writing that I can think of that is more potentially riddled with cliche than sex scenes. I think that a lot of times that people lean on cliches because they're afraid. Mm. They don't want to dive down into the feeling like they don't want to get too vulgar, but there's ways that you can write about sex where it doesn't have to be vulgar. It's all about word choice. Myself personally, this is how I do it. I always approach it in a wide lens. Like I have the people in the room and this is just how you set up a scene period. You have them in the room. You ground the characters in the room. You pan around, you have them interact with what's going on in the room. And then you narrow the focus and narrow the focus and narrow the focus until you are actually literally in the character's body feeling what they would feel. Mm. So they're coming into the bedroom He's ripping off her clothes, whatever. That's the basic fact you, you, you state coming in. Like, oh, we're in the bedroom. He rips off my clothes. Then pan out. What's going on in the bedroom? He's pushing me towards the bed. My knees hit the back of the, my back of my knees hit the bed and I sit down. So that's the wide lens. And then you focus on him. He's looking at me in a way that makes me feel like I'm being devoured. That sort of thing. And then dialing down into whatever he's doing in that moment like taking your clothes off, pulling your panties off, entering you, whatever, getting into that moment where you feel the first moments of contact. Cause we all know that when you in that moment, <laughs> <laughs> when you're in that moment, all this tension is built. And when it gets to the moment when your bodies are first coming together, your whole being is tied into that one spot. Yeah. So not acknowledging that, like not breaking it down, like, okay, like being in the car downstairs, acknowledging the tension, coming up the steps, getting in the room, interacting with the room, looking at him and boom, 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 he's inside of me. You can't just skip over that. Right. You've got to, you got to break it down. Like that is my number one thing. And then the second thing is to always include at least three senses. Mm. And that's just that's just kind of a um, 
It's, 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 I mean, it's a basic writer's trick. You know what I mean? Like when, when a character comes in a room, have them respond to it in some way. How does it feel? How does it smell? What does it look like? You know, what do they hear? What do they feel? Pick three of those senses and dial in the, to them so tight that you're pulling the reader into this character. I think that's huge because it is so easy. I think maybe in some literature and in other places, and I'm definitely guilty of this working on this novel right now, it's so easy to just stay in the character's head and just be like, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking this, I feel this way, this is going on, blah, blah, blah. And then just trying to remember, like, what does the setting look like? What is everything going on? What are they wearing? And that's a basic storytelling because, and this is what I was explaining to, well, I was just having this conversation with a client of mine earlier today. And and she was asking me, like, how, because she had just read my books, which is crazy. I did not prompt her to do this. She just did it on her own. And she read them all in four days. And I'm just like, wow. But she did that. And she was like, oh, my God. Like, years of time, like, I don't understand how how can I rewrite my sex scenes to make them this way. And I was like, you just got to, I was like, the number one complaint that I have with my author friends, because that's what I call them. I don't really call them clients. They're my author friends, because we're going to be friends forever. We friends. <laughs> um the number one complaint I have is that they, they, they paint the scene at the beginning of the scene. Like they'll talk about the room and they give all these details at the beginning of the scene. And then they have all this dialogue and the characters are talking, but they're just kind of in disembodied voices in this space. So they're like talking and there's like implied sex. Implied sex. We don't know how, how, where's the bed? How are they interacting with this room? We don't know these things. And this is also a, 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 from my friend Kate that I've learned about improv, like having people interact when they're dialoguing. Like if one person is standing, the other person is sitting. When that person sits, the other person stands. Like you have to have these people interact with themselves and with the space. If you're not doing this, then it's just kind of like a long block of text and then a long block of dialogue. And what happened here? Was this sexy? I don't know. Was it? (laughs) It's like a postmortem. <laughs> it makes me think a little bit of like the 40-year-old virgin when they're yes. asking him to talk about, he's like, you know, when you grab a woman's breast and it's like a bag of sand and everyone's like, no, no, it's not. No, it's not like a bag of sand. <laughs> it's you know, exactly that. It's exactly that. I feel like we all turn into him when we're trying to write and talk about sex. It's like, like awkward 12 year old. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, you know, it feels like Beavis and Butthead <laughs> or something like oh, oh, oh. it's a boob. He it's touched boob. my boob. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, Love Oh, I can't deal. Say. I'm just going to shut the door. I'm just going to shut the door and walk away. I'm going to flip the pages, flip the pages. Is the sex scene over yet? Oh Let's my God. Start. Well, I mean, I think maybe, and I know, how you feel about this book because we discussed it early on and I haven't even read them. So I'll, mm. you know where I'm going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, maybe this explains the explosion around things like 50 shades of gray because so much fiction doesn't include sex. So then when there's sex in it, people are like, yeah, I'm going to read it because I think of certain genres, you know, you have the whole like my flower language in certain (laughs) (laughs) and there's all of this kind of politics around the language that you use around women's bodies versus around men's bodies in um, in certain genres. Like I'm thinking Harlequin romance, not just in certain, not just in certain genres, just period. Like they like to use women's bodies to sell stuff. 
but they don't want to talk about like actual women's bodies and those bodies having sex. Like it's all through a male gaze. Yeah. Like they just want to look at, look at us and think we're sexy, but they don't want to actually legit talk about women having sex and enjoying sex. So that's the first layer. Yeah, I agree. Because it's like, there's so many words for dick. There's like all these penis words that people are perfectly happy to use in a book but like and and regular and also in regular everyday conversation like you can call somebody a dickhead and it ain't even a curse no it's true but as soon as you say pussy click cunt whatever then people are reacting like oh my god she said the c word <gasps> i know <gasps> shocking it was like i call it my silk purse it's not a silk purse <laughs> you ain't putting change in it bitch <laughs> No, it's, it is. It's, it's how it's to, true. how to, cause you have to embrace that and get comfortable with it for right. yourself before you're going to write about it. And if you aren't comfortable with it, it tells the story in your words, like how you choose to talk about it is completely evident in your word choice, how you approach the scene, how you end the scene, how you are in the scene. It's completely obvious. So when you thinking that you're just being, you're embracing your femininity, but you're not using the dirty words, bitch, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. It's about looking at how you want to, because you have to feel the experience yourself in your head yes. to write about it. Just like that one, well, I don't know who said this quote, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. Mm. It's kind of the same thing with sex. Like if you're not turned on, your reader's not going to be turned on. And I wonder if that's frightening. Especially if you're writing some, about something that's outside of your sexual norm. Like if you're writing about deviant shit, you're admitting some shit to yourself that you can't even say out loud. So if you're writing that, then you, it's gonna, that's going to come across in your writing that you're uncomfortable with it, which is, I think is a good tool. I think it's a good tool for writing because then you're exposing yourself and you're growing with the character and accepting it that way. But if you're not willing to do that, then it's just going to be bad. It's going to be all bad. Yeah. And I think that's why we have rough drafts. Mm -hmm. Like it's okay to, to try it and to look at it and to say, okay, uh, I didn't do this so good. Yeah. I'm going to try it again. <laughs> I am one of those writers who doesn't really like to write, but I like having written. Like I love going, editing is my favorite part of the process. Mm. Drafting is not my favorite part because it feels painful to me. Like just pulling 80,000 words out of myself and putting on the page. It, it's excruciating. Even though I plot, like I love to plot and plan and I love to edit, but writing is so hard. And it's hard because a lot of times I like to challenge myself. I like to write about topics that I know are uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and, and that process, I'm just like, I'll get up against something, especially when you come to the black moment, you're like, <sighs> I need to make this horrible thing happen to this character. And I feel these things and I don't know how to feel them, but that's also a good tool. That's what I was saying. You know, like being uncomfortable is not the problem. Being scared to write it is the problem. Yeah, or letting being uncomfortable or scared stop you from continuing. Exactly, exactly. So you tell me you have this plotting system. Yes. So I want to talk about this because I share in your feelings of OCD around planning and plotting and tracking. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I mean, how do you break this down? Okay, so I'm definitely a, a I'm really geeky about character development. I do a ton of character development. I will ask my characters everything, like six ways to Sunday, how they feel about 
certain things. And by the time I get to the plotting, I already know, like, like before I start, I already have the big plot points in place. You know, like, this is where we start. This is the conflict. This is the black moment. This is the ending. So I already have those in place. I just don't have the in-between moments. And then I'll do like a really in-depth character development. I'll do Proust questions. I'll do an archetype development. And lately, like I just started reading tarot for writers and I feel like it just opened up the floodgates. Like I'm just like, oh my God, this is how I should have been developing my characters all along. I love so, tarot with, I, I teach a whole class on it actually. It's, oh, it's like my favorite thing right now. I know it's like, I'm oh, just, you could do spreads like you do for yourself, for your characters. I'm like, why not? Why didn't anybody tell me this? Because what I was doing before with the tarot, I was just asking the tarot step by step, like, okay, my character is in this spot. What should I do then? And then, then doing a three card spread. But this is like using the tarot to decide who and what your character is. You know, like a whole writing device. Like, I totally love that. 100%. It's my favorite. It's great. <laughs> I mean, and I've only been doing it for like a month, but it's like, I'm never going to write outside of this ever again. It's, it's my new favorite thing to do. So you go through the whole... Proust questionnaire and all of this part. And then do you write this all out? Yes. And and the, not only that, <laughs> I'm the worst. Like, I can't just even be like, okay, like if I'm writing a character arc, I can't even just say this or that thing happened in their childhood. If it, if I feel like it's pivotal to how the character reacts in the book, I can't just say this thing happened to her in her childhood. And this is what solidifies her archetype. I have to literally write out the scene. Mm. I can't just say, oh, brush it off. Eve's went through this thing in her childhood. And that's the thing that happened. And this is what provokes her to do such and such and such and such in my plot. I have to plot it out, write the whole scene from beginning to end. And that's what grounds the character for me. This is why it takes me so long to write damn books. <laughs> well, it sounds like it really serves you, though. It really does. Because whenever I get, you know, you get reviews or whatever and like, Whenever I get a review with the, the, the readers, like, oh, my God, these characters are so real and they're not typical and da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, thank God, all that work I did. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's really finally, you know, worthwhile. So, I, I, I mean, I love that process. I love that planning process. I'm a total geek about character development. But then when it comes because I hate the writing process. Like you could just do the three act structure and then just kind of wing it from there because you know what the black woman is. Mm -hmm. No, Tasha can't do that. Tasha can't do that. I need, uh, there's like genre standards or whatever. Mm -hmm. So however many words, I don't even know where I got this from, but like for a 60,000 word novel, it's like, okay, there's 60 scenes in there. So you need to break them down. 60 scenes. These are the things that need to happen in this book to get to this ending. And I will literally go from that, from, Number one to 60 and map them out and only write what I have there. This is a plus, but also a negative. Mm. Because <laughs> if I write something in that 60 scene line and then I get to that point and I'm trying to write the scene and it's not right, I will stall there. Mm. I will stall there. Um, and in my last book, I stalled there for almost six months because I'm just like, no, this is how the story's supposed to go. I've wrote all these scenes out. This is how it's supposed to happen. I can't get here if I don't do this. Yeah. And then it, finally I had to just go back and do redo it and rewrite the whole 60 scenes and then be like, okay, so this does make sense. It's not a complete deviation from the the plotting that I did before. This is all good, but I'm not, 
I'm not someone that anyone should model after when it comes to the writing process. Well, it sounds like it's good if you, for people who are really reassured and it's helpful to start by having an outline, that's good. But, Mm -hmm. but letting the outline define what happens, because of course you always find out more as you're writing. Right. This is how I know that I, the, the characters that I write, they come become real to me. Mm-hmm. Because I've done all this character development, sometimes they do things that, like when I'm writing a scene, they'll do things that surprise me. <laughs> and I'd be like, wait a minute, no, that, that wasn't supposed to happen here. And then I'm looking at my scene list, like how can I make what I wrote yesterday fit what I'm supposed to write today? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it'll just get hung up. And this last book, I've learned that like, if the characters do things that you didn't expect, this is a good thing. This is not a bad thing that you've developed this character enough to where they seem real to you. They are doing things that you didn't plan. I, I think that's true because, you know, if somebody can be directed completely by you as the writer, then yeah, they aren't as real as somebody who mm-hmm. up and does something. You're like, wait a minute, what? You just bought a plane ticket? That's not ticket? what I told you to do. What? That's not what I told you to do. <laughs> You're not listening. <laughs> Exactly. So you've got this arc, you've got, you know, your 60 scenes, like, how do you slot the sex in? Or is the sex just kind of popping up as the rest of the plot comes together? Well, because I write romance, like the sex is part of the plot. So how many sex scenes do you feel like you need to have in a book to feel like you've done the reader right? (laughs) I'm probably the wrong person to ask this because I literally function on caffeine and filthy thoughts so (laughs) so you've got a lot (laughs) my characters I mean in my first book I think my main character had sex four times but some of them were off screen and then the the major character the the sex that she had with the hero of the book happened on screen and that was only once Mm. so it depends on what your plot arc is like if the whole story is just your heroine is unencumbered and she's just trying to fall in love you need to have at least three sex scenes Mm -hmm. you need to have you need to have a kiss and almost a full a fight and then another sex scene (laughs) i love these terms that's pretty much how it goes it's like it and people hate to people hate to hear this it's like it's all formulaic the only the only literature that's not formulaic is mainstream literary fiction which is just a bunch of words, nothing happens, and then it ends, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's more character-driven and not necessarily plot-driven. Right, right. But if, it's, if you are writing genre fiction, there is a formula. You can do things within this formula to make the characters react differently to what's supposed to happen, but these, your reader is expecting all of these things to happen within the plot. So if it's just to, the, the story of a boy and girl and they're coming together and that's a single title, you need to have them meet, they kiss, they almost, they go through with it, they break up almost, and then they have sex again. Like, for real, that's how it goes. Yeah, but I think it, it goes that way because that's kind of how it goes in life. That's real life. Real life. Yeah, and I guess people don't want to be formulas in real life, but I think in some ways we are all guilty of that. Yes. And and, I mean, (laughs) we all have that one friend on Facebook who's been single forever. Uh And you can watch their posts throughout the year. And it's so cyclical. Mm. 
Like they meet someone and oh, this my boo, this my bae, and they post all these pictures and like, ah, oh, he don't ever. And then it goes from that to I texted this fool and he didn't call me back, and oh, it's been three weeks since I seen this dude. Da 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 da. And then they break up with him. This is like I don't need no man for like three weeks, and then next thing you know, the whole cycle starts over. Mm. I've been that girl. You know what I've I mean? been that girl. <laughs> I was. I had a friend. We were gonna write a country <laughs> album called. Uh, that bastard didn't text me back. <laughs> Dude, look, I i mean, like, I legit do not know what it would feel like to be single in this day and age because I am a weird person. I like things that other people don't like. I'm an introvert. I, there's no way I could date. I would fail at it so hard, especially when it comes to the whole texting thing and conver- conversing with people. I just don't like to talk that much. <laughs> I don't need to talk to you every day, not even through text. It feels like an effort. It's like, oh, I have to text you good morning. I have to expect you to text me good morning. Like, why are you texting me good morning? <laughs> I, I don't know. It just feels like a lot. It feels like a lot. I could never do it. Well, you're already constructing relationships through your books. So, so you're already doing that on that side. And that's enough drama. That's enough drama. I want to take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Scrivener. I get a little giddy talking about Scrivener, honestly, because as we're talking about steamy scenes today on the show, um, you know how great it is as a writer when you can take things piece by piece and write scene by scene. It's really hard to conceive of a book all at once. And with Scrivener, you don't have to write all in one chunk. It's not one big, long scroll, scroll, scroll forever document. You can set things aside and do it piece by piece in a scene format, which was honestly game changing when I first discovered Scrivener. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, if your documents feel crazy and big, I think Scrivener would really help because you can look at it in little sections, have a nifty note card that's connected to each scene, and then you get to go in and work on whichever scene you're ready to work on at that time. It's pretty awesome. You can check out the software at literatureandlatte.com and get 20% off with the code SECRET. Now let's get back to Tasha. So how do you keep the sex, like, how do you keep it fresh? I feel like this is like parallel for like a, a relationship show, but you, you have to keep it for your reader and for your characters. So is it, are you thinking of like, ooh, where could they be? Or could we throw something kinky in there? Or how can you keep you it keep exciting it every time? I mean, I think tension plays a whole lot into that. But I also think that just like in a marriage, like you shouldn't have any don'ts. You shouldn't have I will never do. Mm. Because like when in a marriage, if you say to your husband, I will never do this. He's going to go out and find somebody else who will. (laughs) I mean, if he really wants it, you know what I mean? If he really if this is something he really wants to do and he comes to you, honestly, like Carolyn, I really want to do the butt sex. And you're like, no, you can't. I will never do that then that's a problem. If he he's never done it before and he wants to experience it with his wife, then that's a that's a line that's drawn, he will never get it. It's the same way in a book. Mm-hmm. If if you have set your characters up in a way that are constantly ramping up to the most explosive type of experience, <laughs> explosive. <laughs> explosive. <laughs> We're back to the Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> <laughs> but the most explosive experience they can have, like, you need to be dialing into like if you painted these people especially for the heroine like where is she going to be what is most uncomfortable for her Mm. and the hero needs to push that and if he can't impress upon her 
his desires, then it kind of like breaks the whole thing. It's like, does she really want to be with him? That sort of thing. And this is okay. So now we're getting into cloudy areas with consent. Yep. <laughs> I, I can feel you retracting. Like I'm mm, like, oh, I can feel it. interesting. I mean, it gets into cloudy areas with consent because I feel like those books that you talked about. Which ones? The 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 one that has a movie coming out. On oh, February the one. The, the, so the, the one that has no name. <laughs> that shall not be named. <laughs> that shall not be named. I think he abused her consent the whole series. Mm. He abused her consent at every turn. I think, but there is definitely a line when it comes to romance. There, the reason why the series was so popular was because all women identify with an alpha hero. He doesn't have to be like this Navy SEAL carrying a gun, killing everybody sort of alpha hero. But they don't want to read necessarily about a man who can't assert himself. So even if he is kind of a nerd, like uh, a computer nerd, and is real like introverted and quiet in his presentation in life, when you get in that bedroom, like unless this is a femdom, <laughs> they want him to take control. And this is horrible. But in romance, they like to be painted as the, the one who is being... Hmm. Cor- not ravished. Course. That's a horrible word. Ravaged, ravaged, ravished. That word. Yeah. They they want to be pushed to the limits of their desire to the point where they're ready to agree to anything. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. So somebody is enticing them so that they want yes. to do whatever he's suggesting. Yes. yes. That's it. It doesn't I'm like and and in that moment it doesn't feel dirty. It's just like I'm so into this dude. I will do anything. Yeah, and I feel really safe in this, and I feel right, right, yeah, right. That he's portraying this in a way that I feel safe. The the other thing too is that there are, I think, the beauty of self publishing and all of the elements of that is there are as many genres of romance and erotica as there are preferences out there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think that's majorly the reason why I will probably never traditionally publish yeah because I can just write about I mean like when it comes to like uh current events I can include those in my books mm-hmm. or I can include really taboo topics in my books and I will never have a publisher telling me you can't do that right yeah because I'm thinking of certain publishers, I think, have formulas as well. If you're thinking about like, okay, we have to have this kind of plot line. Publishers have their own sets of of plot arcs and topics that they want to cover and that they won't. So you're able to follow what your interest is and how you want to respond to the genre. Exactly that. Especially in this political climate, like I like to include current events, Mm -hmm. sometimes in my plot. And also, if I want to write about a taboo topic, I'm not talking about like really dirty stuff, but like, you know, things that normal mainstream romance writers don't write about that would never get approved at, say, Harlequin. I can do that. Right. And I won't ever have to answer to anyone. Yeah, you're just answering to your readers. Like, they're going to read it or they're not going to read it. Right. And they wouldn't be here if they didn't want to read filth. So. (laughs) Plus, I mean, I think that's the other thing with, with doing anything current is that you have such a shorter timeline. It's kind of up to you when you turn it around. So what is your timeline? You said it takes you a really long time to write a book. I mean, at this point, like I'm trying to narrow it. Like at this point, it's probably about, I want to say 100, 
20 days. I want to narrow it down to 90. But like the writing process takes me way longer than I would like. Plotting is quick. Editing is quick. Like I love rewriting a book because the words are already there. It's easy for me to go in when the words are already there and trim away the fat and make it shine. But like just getting the words on the page and I don't know how anybody could think this was easy. No, I don't know how I, I, there's lots of people just like, oh, you're a writer that I want to write a book. OK, do it. Yeah. Yeah, please. Do it. Please do it. Write a book. Don't tell me about you going to write a book. Write a book. I just want you to. And, and this is the thing that cracks me up about it, because if they had to write like an essay, you have to write a, a 1200 word essay and you are feeling a way about that essay. Try writing 80,000 words with no direction, really. Like, you just made this up. Yeah. And you, you're going to be like, oh, I made this plot up and these people up. I'm just going to make this life happen in 80,000 words. Try writing that. I think that each, there are different stages that feel easier to people yeah. than others. I mean, I like writing and then revision scares me because I'm afraid mm. to reread the thing. <laughs> I can be like, oh, it's so terrible. I mean, there's definitely stages to the, re the, the revision and rewriting stage. Like a lot of times I'll go through and be like, especially if it's, I've separated myself from the words. Like I'll go back like a month later and be like, oh girl, you know what you're doing? Look at what you did. Yeah. This is good. And then going through it that first time and then you let it sit and you come back to it and it's like, oh my God, this is garbage. Yeah. I mean, it's still, it's all the emotions. Writing is all the emotions. This is why I think that you really just have to, there's like some crazy involved in being a writer, especially if you're trying to publish traditionally because that involves so much rejection, which I went through. There is so much rejection in that process. It's like, why am I continually subjecting myself <laughs> to this for people to say no before I get a yes? Yeah, it takes such a long time. I mean, I think in some ways, even people who are traditionally publishing now, there's some sort of psychological shoring up that seems to happen because mm -hmm. of self-publishing. It's like, okay, if everybody says no, I can still put this out Do there. Do this. Yeah. I can still do it myself. And that makes so it worth an it. Option. Yeah, it makes it worth it to start, which I think might not be as, I think people would have a harder time starting without that. Yeah, when I, when I first started writing, it was like 2008. So the whole self-publishing boom hadn't really happened until what, like 2009, 2010, when it got really big. So I was still going through the whole submission process and getting all the no's and just thinking like, why do I think I can be a writer? That sort of thing. And how has that evolved over that? Because it's been now, I guess, nine years and you've got mm -hmm. multiple books out. So how how did that process unfold? Well, I went through the submission process and I got a couple of yeses and they were from small presses that eventually like both presses in the process of acquiring my manuscript just kind of exploded and didn't happen. My contract just was like, you know, like leaves in the breeze. It's like, oh, my God. I'm so sorry, but, you know, our company is breaking up and we can't, you know, we're not going to publish your book, that sort of thing. Ugh. Yeah. So after that happened twice, I went through this period. And I was just like, you know, maybe this is just not a thing that should happen. Maybe I should just do something else or think of something else or whatever. But I never, I mean, like, if you're a writer, this is, this is something you cannot not do. You know what I mean? Like, you just can't stop. Like, you can stop writing for a while, but it's in you. You're always going to want to tell a story. And if it's a story, like if you've already written something and you know, it's something you believe in, it's hard for you to give up on that. So I was on Twitter 
And I was basically lamenting the fact that, you know, this happened to me and I just wish that I had some writer friends in real life and da 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 And another writer reached out to me in my genre and told me about a writer's group of hers in Atlanta. I live two hours north of Atlanta. And she was like, you know what? We're going to meet on this Saturday. Come down here. Bring your words. We can talk about it. And that was like the best. I mean, it was the best decision I made, but it was super hard to even do it. Because like, I'm traveling two hours south to meet people that I've only talked to on the internet. It was the best decision I made. And I think that if I hadn't have gone, my series wouldn't be the way it is now. That's great. Are you still meeting with them? Unfortunately, that group broke up for reasons that I'm still trying to figure out. I think that uh, there was a a certain group of us that were geared towards publishing. And then there was the other group that was really thinking about it as a hobby. Right. And, And then when we started getting really super serious and business focused with our writing, they felt left behind. So that's why that relationship broke up but out of that relationship I got my friend Katie and my friend Tiffany who are still my best good writing buddies that's awesome so it was worth it I think having community is so essential because oh essential so much of writing you're you're by yourself in your head with imaginary people Mm -hmm. I mean even if you're writing a biography or even if you're writing creative nonfiction or anything I mean you're still in your head with the people trying to communicate with them Right. And then also when it comes to like when when you get to the end, you're so close to the words, but you're never going to be able to see the flaws. You're never going to be able to see the plot holes that if you had like a critique critique group to submit your book to that they can point out easily, you know, and that's basically what happened with my book. Like I submitted the book to this group and they were just like, boom, 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 boom. These are the things that need to be fixed. And I'm the type of person that I love a critique. I just want you to tell me what's wrong with me so I can fix it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, So that whole process was really great for me. And not every writer is like that. Some people go through periods like they feel really super defensive during a critique. They have a hard time doing the critique to begin with. Like they don't want to submit their work. Then if you tell them anything's wrong, they have like this, this, this wall comes up and they feel super defensive. And then they have a long break during that time after the critique before they can look at those words and see where the truth lies to fix it. That time period for me is really short. Mm -hmm. Like I just want somebody to tell me what I did wrong so I can fix it. So that process was great for me. Like finding people who will read my words willingly. Like I didn't have to trick you and you're not my mama. (laughs) It was great for me. Yeah. It sounds like finding the right group that has the same intentions Right. And also finding genre, genre specific groups are important. Like there are lots of writers groups that just welcome all writers. And I've found in my, it's just like just looking for my tribe type of thing. I've found in that process that just groups that include, you know, screenwriters and poets and science fiction writers and all that stuff, that doesn't work for me. I need to be with other romance writers Mm -hmm. because they get it. Yeah, particularly if you're writing about sex in a particular way, and mm-hmm. you want people who are comfortable reading it and talking about it. Right. And talking about that in a group that has Christian writers who never write about sex, that's really weird. Yeah, it could be tough to have different <laughs> ideologies in there. Because in that topic in particular, because I've had other people yes. say, I really love having mixed genres, but they're all writing kind of 
fiction it's like sci-fi fiction young adult like it's Mm -hmm. more similar so i think you if you have something like a lot of sex in your books then finding people who are comfortable reading that and are able to respond in a a better way than like hee 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 or that's awful or ooh, that was a little much yeah i got tired of that cringy face happening oh dear well i think it's (laughs) It's yeah it's like finding figuring out who your reader is for what you're writing Mm -hmm. and making sure that the people that you're showing your work to are closer to that reader than exactly exactly and i think that that still pans out when it comes to uh, what you're writing like you need to know where you are as a reader before you can start writing a story like you can't just decide that you're going to write romance and never having read a romance. Whenever I hear people who say, I don't ever read, and they want to be writers, I'm just like, how do you think you can do this if you never read any words? It's kind of the same thing when it comes to romance. It's just like, oh, I'm a romance writer, but I never read romances. Then how do you know what what works and what doesn't? It's also interesting to me, like how you can pursue writing if you don't like reading, because I compulsively read. And so I'm thinking about I just think that's part of it. You have it's to know your, you have to know your field. And it's kind of like the same situation like if you have a job, you want to know about your peers, you want to know what they're doing. What works and what doesn't work. If you don't read within your genre, it kind of sounds weird to me that you want to write in a genre that you know nothing about. I think it comes from this misguided place where people think if they read other people's stuff, they're fearful of plagiarizing or stealing the way that somebody does it. Or that they're going to copy their style. Exactly that too. I feel that a lot when it comes to um, my editing. Like I don't share a whole lot of times with uh, the my clients that I am a romance writer because I feel like it would like sometimes I would probably feel like it's a conflict of interest. Like I'm absorbing their ideas and then I'm going to write them as my own. But I feel like a lot of times what I write is completely different from what most mainstream romance authors write it's kind of like a um a blend between like a urban lit and romance but with smart smashed in the middle (laughs) (laughs) my friends always tell me like this is too smart this is never going to be mainstream like but i uh, i'm smart i can't take the smart out you know what i mean like i just can't do it and that's not to say that uh regular romance isn't smart it's just like there's a level of elimination of the smart that I can't go through. And when I'm talking to my clients, like I don't want them to think, oh, she's a romance writer. And, you know, maybe she may be influenced by what I'm writing and then go out and do it better than I am doing it Mm. because she knows what works. You know what I mean? Yeah. The thing that I come back to, and it's a different modality altogether, but when I was studying photography, one thing that we looked at was photographs taken of the same view by two different photographers right next to each other. And they were Mm -hmm. still different. Exactly. So I think even if you said, okay, we're going to have person A and person B, and they're going to go through this experience, and they're going to have sex in this location. If two people wrote that, it would still be different. And that's where I'm coming from. But not every romance author would see it the same way. So I always feel super hesitant to even reveal to them, like, the only reason why I know so much about your book is because I write in this genre. Yeah, it's interesting that they 
that that would be a concern given how much support you can get. It's just fascinating, the whole thing with writing. It's how simultaneously we crave people's connections with other people doing the same thing. And at the same time, we fear them because of the Mm -hmm. competition and what happens. It's a weird world, the writing world. And what's so crazy to me about the whole competition thing is that there's a limit to how many readers can read whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that makes no sense to me is like, you don't have to share your fan base with me, but sharing your fan base doesn't mean that your fans are not going to read your books. If you write in the same genre as me, just because you share my book doesn't mean that those people who are on your list are going to stop reading your books and start reading my books. They're still going to love your books and they'll love my books because you recommended them. Yeah, sharing, I think, is it's important in any field, but I think also competition is a fearful thing that happens in any field. But I also think competition, uh, I mean, it's a delicate line to tell. Like, I think... I, I definitely read others, and I feel like sometimes I feel like I'll read a writer and be like, do I even bother? Because I just wrote this perfect thing. <laughs> and then sometimes I'll read writers. How does she have a traditional deal and I don't? You know? So I think that the level of the competition are good because they always do. And that's why I'm reading genre is important because you need to always be pushing yourself you need to always be learning and like even now because even just because I'm an editor doesn't mean I know everything I need to know I'm always trying to find other things out different ways to turn tropes on their head and explore characters in a different way and all these things like the whole tarot for writers thing like that that thing has just opened my brain in a totally different way that I never expected and I'm always looking for those things to broaden my perspective as a writer. And I think that that is what makes you a competitive author, not competing with someone else's sales or measuring your career up against their career at whatever stage. Oh, definitely. I think that's, I think that's what it is, is that people get competition distorted. It's not about competing against other people. It's competing against yourself. Like I'm always trying to outdo myself. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's the only measurement that matters is how can I be the best writer possible? How can I write the best scene possible? How can this book be as good as I can make it? Right. And that's that's the only thing that really makes me happy is like when I go back and read the things that I wrote like 10 years ago, I'm like, oh, my God, child, what was you doing? The little baby, you're so sweet. You thought that was a good book. Oh, look at you. Yeah. And then you just (laughs) keep going. I think it's right. I think this is exciting and I think, I hope that people listening today feel inspired to throw a sex scene into their, into their book. Please do. Do it. Please do it. Let those people do it. Make it it. dirty. Let those people do it. Make it dirty. Yeah. I think I'm already, as I, as we're talking, I'm like, oh. I mean, like, even if it's only one sex scene, make it count. Yeah. Make it count. Like, even if you're writing something that's completely literary, if you're going to include the sex scene, don't close the door. Just dive into it like you did all the other scenes in the book. Yep. Don't close that door. That's our, that's our don't theme. Don't close that door. <laughs> don't close that door. Leave the door open. So <laughs> Exactly. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. I'm hoping it heats up everybody's writing and uh, that, that people will be inspired to jump in. Me too. Me too. Awesome. Thank you for listening to The Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. 
To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.